when you're doing just culture work in inside an organization, you are not waiting for an outcome to do this work. You are judging behaviors regardless of what the outcome is. So if someone came in with a purpose to cause harm and they didn't harm anyone, the behavior is still the same. The outcome is different, but the behavior is the same. So this is what just culture wants us to think about is how do we respond to behaviors regardless of the actual outcome? Welcome to the Learning to Change podcast, where we uncover the transformative power of learning through the modern learner's lens. I'm your host, Melissa Emler, and this is the final installment of our four-part series on Just Culture with Julie Stevenson. In this episode, Julie digs into the five behaviors of Just Culture, and we examine at length the behavioral spectrum. I do hope you've enjoyed this four-part series on Just Culture, and I do hope that you take what you can to work on reshaping your workplace culture for the purpose of enhancing employee engagement and improving service quality. So without further ado, here is the fourth installment with Julie Stevenson on Just Culture. So there's the behaviors part of just culture is, I think, the most fun thing to think about. And it's, again, tied to everything we've talked about so far in terms of what are the duties that employees owe organizations. And then um, thinking about a breach of those duties, what happened when someone didn't meet those duties. And there's five behaviors that the just culture company, again, I, I'm using their framework. Uh, there's five behaviors that we identify as helping us understand how we are engaging with the organization and with the duties that uh, the organization expects of us. So the first behavior is human error. So this is an unintended conduct, which means there was an inadvertent thing that happened when the actor did a thing you know, they did one thing and something that completely inadvertent happened. So it was unintended, unforeseen conduct, right? And so human error is really representing our inescapable fallibility as humans. Humans are going to make mistakes. Humans are going to have things happen in a way that they did not expect and where we did something other than what we should have done, right? So when it comes to the spectrum of behaviors, human error is one of those things that we just have to accept. We have to accept the reality that we are all, every single human is fallible. And there are going to be times when we cannot escape that fallibility and something occurs that we did not expect. So we have to accept that behavior. So let's just use I use spectrum. So let's use the other end of the spectrum then. So there's going to be error, which is something that was unexpected. It's our human fallibility. On the other end of the spectrum, there is a purpose to cause harm. Mm -hmm. And so this is unlike human error, where we're saying you have to accept it. Purpose is one of those opportunities where we like, it's never justified to purposely come in and cause harm. So just like with human error on one end of the spectrum, it's our inescapable fallibility. The thing we can't escape is an easy way to think about it. When it comes to purpose to cause harm on the opposite end of that spectrum, the real easy way to think about that is rage. And so we can think about this from 
uh, like using a school shooting. Yes. It's very hard to justify that someone came in with the purpose to cause harm. It's not, it's not justified. There was rage and there was purpose to cause harm. So those are the two ends of the spectrum of behaviors that we're going to talk about. And then there's three behaviors in the middle that are much more complex to think about because error and rage are pretty easy to distinguish. And the response to those are different, completely different, right? Human error, you have to accept and purpose to cause harm. It's sort of never justified and there's some sort of sanction, right? Something that I don't know that I've said, and it requires being said here, is when you're doing just culture work in inside an organization, you are not waiting for an outcome to do this work. You are judging behaviors, hopefully, regardless of what the outcome is. So if someone came in with a purpose to cause harm and they didn't harm anyone, the behavior is still the same. They came in with guns into a school. They just somehow their gun jammed and it didn't work. It doesn't make the behavior any different. The outcome is different, but the behavior is the same. So this is what just culture wants us to think about is how do we respond to behaviors regardless of the actual outcome? Does that make sense? Yes. I, I think we talked about the regardless of outcome piece initially too. And that is something that's really hard to wrap your brain around because often consequences are the result of outcome and yep. not just the behavior. And yes. so th there's a void between the behavior, the outcome, and the consequence. And we typically connect consequence to the outcome, and we really should connect consequence to behavior. Fascinating. Yeah. And it's, it goes against our, uh, you know, we talked about this right last time, the American justice system. We are sort of a punitive based or an outcome based model of, of judgment, right? We don't necessarily judge the person who is driving drunk if nothing happened. But man, if somebody was harmed, we have a whole different way of, you know, how we decide to judge and then sanction that behavior. It's, it is counter to how we've, in many ways, as uh, Americans, how we've been taught to think about justice and judgment. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about the behavior that's on the spectrum closest to purpose to cause harm. And that would be a, a knowledge to cause harm. This is where you're knowingly causing some sort of harm and it's sometimes going to be justified. So an example to think about this, and this isn't necessarily a, a workplace example, but it's an example that I think people can relate to. You'll remember probably in, in the recent couple of years when a famous and wealthy actress was buying her child's admission into a university. So yes. someone paid, you know, half a million dollars to get their kid into USC. Well, you're knowingly causing harm when you're putting yourself first to get something that someone else might deserve more. Now, that person might never know that they're harmed, but there's a knowing, a knowingness to it. So in that case, right, it may or may not be justified. I'm not going to be the judge of that. But there are times when this could be justified. So let's say, for example, you come across an accident, there's a car on fire, and someone is in that vehicle, and you pull that person out and their arm gets broken. And you know, this is not going to be great, but I'm going to save them from the, the fire of this car. So you're knowingly like, their arm is going to break or their, their shoulder is going to come out of socket, but I've got to get them out. There are times when knowingly causing harm could be justified. The way to think about knowledge on the spectrum of behaviors in, a, in that easy way to think about it is sort of a me first behavior. 
where I am putting myself before someone else, knowing there is almost always going to be harm here. So let's go back to the other end of the spectrum then. Closest to human error would be what we're calling at-risk behavior. And this is where it's a choice, but there is an unconscious or non-recognized, you're not recognizing the risk. Or you're mistakenly believing you're in sort of a just, a, a safe place, or it can be justified. This is a complex behavior. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is our propensity to drift. It is when it's not really an accident or an, a, an error because there was some choice involved, but I either thought I was in a safe safe place to, to do this behavior that might not be in my best interest or someone else's best interest, or I just didn't even recognize the uh, risk involved. So the example they use in the framework of at-risk behavior is that every year there are like 2,500 children that are killed by um, being backed over. This is not necessarily an accident because most of the time, if you've received your driver's license, you have been trained to walk around your vehicle to assess the situation before you get it and back out. And in most owner's manuals of vehicles, it actually tells us to do that as well. But the truth is, we don't do that, right? We've been trained to do it. We've been told to do it. And so many times this is the example they use because we see the risk and we, we don't even see the risk because we're so used to just doing, um, getting in our car, backing out without really thinking about it. Now, the way the technology has evolved, this is why there's backup cameras, right? This is why there's signals, right? Because people were doing this, they were drifting into just getting in and backing out versus taking a double a double check because there may be a child that's hard to see and um, there could be harm there. So that's one way to think about at-risk behavior. It's a hard it's actually kind of a hard way to think about it because it seems like well no I don't I don't really do that. Another way we could think about this this will be something Missy that you can appreciate, right? Would be uh, when you like might mistakenly believe you're in a safe place. So like in a school you might be able to swear in one person's class, <laughs> but you can't swear in another person's class. So it's not really an error that you're swearing, but you think you're in a safe place because I just swore in so-and-so's class. So like you're choosing the behavior of swearing and you believe you're in a safe place, right? And so then when people, there, there's a confusion there because it's not necessarily a safe place to do that. It depends on all sorts of things, right? And so drift is, I can mistakenly believe that there's no risk here, or I know there's a little bit of risk, but I'm in a safe place. That's yes. how at-risk behavior um, shows up. This, in terms of our workplace, again, I'm, this is a complicated thing. This is the most, in workplaces, this is what we need to be thinking about the most. The two behaviors that are the most prevalent in workplaces are at-risk behavior and this knowledge, this me-first behavior. Those are the two we see a lot in workplaces. I've really said a lot about at-risk behavior and drift. <laughs> Any questions about our propensity to drift or at-risk behavior? No, I want to go through the one that's in the middle. And then I want to sort of recap um, sure. with an example that's brewing, and then you can check me on it. Okay. So the one in the middle of the five is reckless. It's reckless behavior. So we have, I'll just go across here. We have human error, at-risk behavior, reckless, which is what we're going to talk about, then knowledge to cause harm and purpose to cause harm. So reckless is when there is a conscious disregard of a risk that's substantial or unjustifiable. So at-risk behavior, there's an unconscious, it's not recognized the risk, but in reckless, 
there is a conscious disregard of risk or harm. And so this, to use the little like catchphrase, is the gamble. Really what's between you and harm is luck. So the the example they use related to this in the framework is there was a video of a dentist who did a tooth extraction on a hoverboard. Oh now, my. He con there's a conscious disregard because it, this was recorded, it was texted out to a number of people, right? Like clearly this was a conscious choice knowing there's some harm here, but I'm going to take this gamble cuz maybe it'll go viral. I'm not really sure what the thinking was, right? But there was a conscious disregard for sure. <laughs> right. There was a conscious disregard of what could have been a a serious harm to the to the patient, right? So this is why at-risk behavior and knowledge are the two that are most sort of common in workplaces or most prevalent because not many people are willing to like risk someone else, you know, risk themselves um, or, or leave luck in between themselves and harm or their patients and harm or their students and harm. But there are these sort of like, eh, me first behaviors, like, oh, maybe this is fine. Um, knowing like, well, if they find out they'd be harmed, but who knows? Or this like, drift where it's just an unconscious, I wasn't even aware or recognizing the risk or harm that could happen. Yeah, that's really interesting. So the the line between reckless and knowledge is real fuzzy and hairy, in my mind, because in the case of the hoverboard tooth extraction, we are assuming the intention of the dentist on the hoverboard was self-serving to create a video on a hoverboard doing a tooth extraction that stood to gain some notoriety in something at some point. Mm -hmm. And so that would be the for me. So he essentially doing the tooth extraction on a hoverboard, he knowledgeably, he knew that there was, that that wasn't appropriate or safe and did it anyway, because I, I'm assuming he thought there was something in it for him. Yeah. I think one of the things that's, so with knowledge, again, like there might not be harm, like let's use that call USC uh, thing, right? Mm -hmm. Where the person was paying the person who didn't get into USC because the other kid did would never know that it was a buyout necessarily. So, right. so there is sort of harm, but someone might not know. With reckless, there is almost, if this doesn't go well, there's almost certain harm. Got it. Yes. Right? So it's the knowledge of being harmed essentially is also under, like that's under the scrutiny piece where in the USC example, the student who is denied acceptance because somebody else bought a spot essentially, they they don't know. So so the knowledge, the person that's doing the harm, you know, knows what's in it for them. Like it's a me first, me first. mentality. Yep. But the person that's actually receiving the harm may or may not know that that's the direct causation potentially. Yeah, right. Which again, mm -hmm. that's an outcome driven. So we're not even thinking about the outcome. Right. Really, right. We're not supposed to be like looking at this from an outcome perspective. Right. Got it. That's right. Like if you're paying for a spot, you are knowingly saying, I'm taking something that is likely not mine, which is a knowing, a, a, a behavior that knowingly causes harm. Now, yes. the person might not know that they're harmed, right? Like the mm -hmm. outcome might be that no one ever knows. When it comes to reckless, you are consciously choosing a risk that almost certainly will cause harm, right? Yes. Absolutely. And you're just putting luck in between you and whatever the risk it is. A couple of examples of like 
breaches, like the ways that this would show up. So let's let's think about human error. So it's when an individual should have done other than what they did. So it might be like we can call this a slip or a lapse or a fumble mm -hmm. or a you know whatever. And it's maybe you missed your exit while you were driving. Yes. It's a mistake, right? It's an error. You have to sort of accept that and then get back on the get back on the path. When it comes to at-risk behavior, the risk is not recognized or it's mistakenly believed to be justified. This would be you're driving eight miles an hour over the speed limit. So you're in a 55 and you set it at, you know, 62. You know, I always heard nine is fine. Right. <laughs> you are choosing mm -hmm. to risk that you're, you know, you're going over the speed limit, right? You're, you're setting your cruise. There's an active choice there. Yes. Reckless with this conscious disregard of substantial risk or harm would be I'm driving at 130 miles an hour because I'm showing off. Yes. So an example of a breach when it with a with the knowledge behavior where I'm knowingly causing harm would be I'm going to drive across someone's lawn to get around this traffic. Right. I'm thinking about me first. I'm not thinking about what's in the lawn and what's what I'm tearing yeah. up. And then a purpose to cause harm like this, no, this never justified would be I'm intentionally driving into a crowd, which, yes. you know, has happened. Right. It so has. this is sort of where using our driving as an example of how we can breach certain duties that we might have and how these behaviors come into play with that. Does that make sense? The like you might yes. miss an exit. You're going to set your cruise eight miles over the speed limit. You're showing off by driving 130 miles an hour. You drive across someone's yard because you don't want to deal with traffic or you drive intentionally into a crowd. Those are in many ways the same behavior. You're driving with an intent and yet the outcomes could be very, very different based on the risk and the harm and, and things like that. So we have to be very conscious of how are we behaving? What choices are we making? And why? Right. So then it's interesting because as we think about that spectrum of behavior, it's hard to imagine the sanction from a spectrum also. I mean, the outcome, obviously, as you go along the spectrum, the potential outcome, when the negative outcome happens, it's it's very negative and felt everywhere. But there are times when people drive 103 miles an hour and the outcome is nothing. Correct. It's, it You get from point A to point B and you saved yourself five minutes. I'm making that up. But yeah, again, so so where do we go from here? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the way to think about this is, um, again, so this is a, a workplace justice issue, right? So it's about like, how do we make sure that our workplace doesn't uh, penalize people for being human beings? And how is there shared responsibility between the organization and the systems and, and the environment the organization is creating and accountability with the behaviors and individual choices? employees are making, right? And so the way that this um, framework sets it up is when it comes to human error, this inescapable fallibility that we all have, again, you have to accept it. So in many ways, it comes with some consolation, right? Because most of the time, people don't love that they, you know, missed the other, uh, we'll just use the really, you know, basic thing of missing your exit, right? They have to be like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, that happened. Let's like, I'll help you find, I'll, I'll help you use the GPS, right? Like you can console them mm -hmm. in some way, um, because it was an error. It was, it was inadvertent, right? So you have to yeah. sort of accept and maybe console. Yes. So to, to go with that, I just read an article recently that had a story uh, that and there's a hashtag, I think, called Dear Intern out there. But it started because an, an HBO intern accidentally sent a blank mass email with the subject line integration test email one to thousands of subscribers. <laughs> 
so, and it was just, you know, an accidental thing. It was supposed to go, you know, to a test group or something and it went to thousands of subscribers. So then they responded, we mistakenly sent out an empty test email to a portion of HBO Max mailing list this evening. We apologize for the inconvenience. And as the jokes pile in, yes, it was the intern. No, really. And we're helping them through it. And so I actually read that and I thought about the conversations that we were having because I I kept remembering you saying that human error happens. And when that happens, you you kind of have to, you know, support and console. And I think that's funny. Like, have you been the intern that made the really dumb mistake? I have too. This is what happened. And I've lived to tell about it. Yeah. So I think it's a really good um, in the wild example of how we can accept and accept human error and console per- a person because they feel terrible when that happens. I think it's a really good example, um, especially based on the idea that there's some vulnerability and accountability for that, right? Like yes. the organization could have just fired that person and pretended it never happened, right? And yeah. wh- who would have learned and how would anyone have been like, oh God, I've been there before, right? I think so often this human error stuff is really hard because it is a vulnerable thing to believe that you're fallible. We uh, m- many of us for too long think like we don't make mistakes, right? Um, that's mm-hmm. why in in just culture, and I'm not going to get into this in depth, but like attribution bias comes in. Oh, I love this. You have to give us an example of attribution bias. You you can't just leave us hanging. This is the very key piece. <laughs> okay, so I'll just like quickly talk about the fundamental attribution bias. Is uh, just in like its most simple way is like when something happens to me, it it wasn't about me or my character. But when something is happening with someone else, you sort of like assume it's about their character. So an example might be like your Missy, you slip on the rocks. I might immediately like, damn, Missy is clumsy. (laughs) But if I slip on the rocks, I am saying these rocks are slippery. Yes. I actually, my husband being in safety, I can watch uh, in his conversation and in the stories that he tells, I can see attribution bias. 100%. Like sometimes in how he responds, but also in how the organ- organization or just like what's socially normed, what pieces come out. But I think that's really funny. If you slip on the rocks. The rocks are slippery. But if someone else does. But if somebody else does it, gosh, they're kind of clumsy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this happened so just real. yesterday in my workplace. There was a car accident and some, you know, nearby, no one was hurt, but someone was like, what were they thinking? And I'm like, if that was you driving, you'd be like, oh my gosh, this is what happened, blah, blah, blah. But it, immediately we are like, what the heck's wrong with that driver? Right? Like, yes, um, we are, it is unconscious. We do it so quickly where we judge other people's actions and behaviors based on their character. But on us, it's like, what it was the external thing that made yeah. that happen to us. So I find that part fascinating. Yeah. And it's, it's, so it's a vulnerable thing to believe that our brains do that without us even knowing it. And so human error is something that people have to sort of wrestle with that I am fallible to. And I will make the same silly mistakes like slipping on a rock, just like Mary does and has nothing to do with our uh, athleticism. You know what? Personal story that's very relevant in a post-pandemic professional world. The mute button in Zoom. Mm. It gets us. <laughs> and it got me one time for real. And mm-hmm. I immediately felt that shame because I have a, a recognizable shame response in my body. And I can tell you all of the external factors that essentially made me like made that error happen. And I've been in a room 
Zoom room where somebody else forgot to mute. And I was like, oh my gosh, what are they thinking? (laughs) It is like a real thing. And now, of course, I have empathy. Yes. uh, A lot of it. And I have a hard time, like every time I think about it, I have this shame response. But again, that attribution bias is real. And I'm going to work hard at being more conscious of my own attribution biases. Even if nothing else comes out of this podcast, I I hope just the complexity of why, how we behave and how our organizations have to function with duties and behaviors and humans and breaches and all of this is just that awareness of like, it's nothing's real simple. No, <laughs> the things we think are simple are often not. You you mentioned like there were factors that impacted. Yes, of course there is, right? <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's go back. Okay, so human error, you have to accept and likely console. Your intern story is a good one. At-risk behavior. Remember, that's our propensity to drift. Um, and that means when the choice that we are making, we are not recognizing that there's a risk or we believe we're justified or in a safe place. So again, it's not really completely inadvertent. There is a choice there. It's our propensity to drift. And in that case, and this is a non-punitive thing, coaching is the action. Helping people recognize, here's the choice you made and here's the risk that I'm not sure you see there, right? Or think about the safe place, right? How many people in organizations say sort of an off-color joke in someone's office because this is a safe place, but if there's one new person in the room, that is a whole different set of risks, right? So instead Mm -hmm. of being like, what the heck's wrong with you? There may be this, there's this opportunity to coach to say, hey, we've said things like this before and it was probably not the right thing to do. There was some risk involved because now we have a new employee that's coming in and we're possibly hurting them or harming them. Let's do better at making sure that we are very conscious of of the things that we're saying that at one point we didn't recognize as being risky, but now we know better, right? So we know better, you do better. So it's not coming as a punitive coaching. It's coming as a way to help people recognize the risk or to help people recognize when your safe place, your justification is maybe no longer relevant, is maybe no longer the the way to operate in an organization. Awesome. I love that for human error, the action is to console for at-risk behavior. The action is to coach. Are you going to give us actions for these other ones or is it not as clear cut? (laughs) Well, the action is the same. It's consider sanction. That's where organizations have to decide what they stand for, what they are, what their tolerance, what their margin of error is, right? Like, you know, you work in a large manufacturing plant, like you mentioned, right? There is a very thin margin of error with some of these machines, right? So if you're taking a gamble, that sanction might be very different than, you know, someone's reckless behavior in an environment where the margin of error is much wider, right? So it depends on the harm and the risk and things like that. But that's where the organization, they get to decide And this is where hopefully like proactive thinking and policies that are created give people all of that work they do beforehand before the behavior, before the outcome. Yes. Determines what comes next. Because the sanction could be more coaching, right? It could be something else, but it's, there's, this is why organizations and, and this just culture company talks a lot about this. These, the organizations that do sort of the cardinal rule, if this, then termination, that doesn't necessarily create a safer place. It might yeah. create a place where people don't tell you that they're doing that or never. Right. Like never zero tolerance for bullying. Correct. Does it does not work. necessarily work. Right. So this is those sanctions, the, the, the 
consideration of sanction is where an organization has to get very clear on what their policies and procedures is. This is where leadership development comes in as such an important tool because you have to be able to think with some nuance and use some discernment to decide what's best for both the employee, uh, the organization, and how do you create systems that continue then to do what's best for both that employee and other employees in the organization going forward. That is so fascinating. And it is so nuanced and mm -hmm. so challenging. And to get to to create the conditions in which a just culture is what people experience in their workplace is a lot of ongoing work. Yeah. And in the work of modern learners where we are focused on learning, implementing a just culture in the workplace requires learning and unlearning and paying attention to those things is hopefully the underlying goal is to create better outcomes for those we serve as well as to retain to recruit and retain those people that we have serving our clients mm -hmm. so that we are in service of those who work for us as much as they are in service of us. It's absolutely right. The curiosity is such a key piece to it. So, you you know, your learning mission is exactly right. Holy baloney. I will leave it with that. But Julie, I really appreciate the journey that you've taken us on through the Just Culture Learning. And while this is just a beginning little dip your toes in, I would encourage people to look at the Just Culture um, community and business side of the Just Culture framework. And so we'll definitely link to the Just Culture organization if you'd like to explore more or if you'd like to reach out. Julie works in healthcare at a regional hospital. And so if you have questions just about their implementation journey, we'll link her up in the show notes as well. Mm -hmm. But again, we're just on a learning journey. And if I can meet my goal, which is to inspire people to want to learn more, then we're good. So consider this just the beginning <laughs> of your Just Culture journey. Thanks so much. Thanks for being with us, Julie. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks, Missy. Thank you for joining me today on the Learning to Change podcast. I hope you found our discussion insightful and inspiring. As we continue to explore the power of learning and its impact on change, remember that it's not about pushing yourself or others to change, but about embracing the process of learning. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. If you're ready to take your learning journey to the next level or bring about a culture of learning in your organization, join us in our free Modern Learners community. We are here to help you navigate the challenges and celebrate the successes that come with embracing learning and change. Simply go to modernlearners.community and join us today. You'll find all the resources from today's show in there. Until next time, Stay curious and remember, I'm not asking you to change, I'm asking you to learn. Learning to Change is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Lou Blaser. Marty Seafelt edits our episodes. Our production assistant is Emily Kilduff. And Sean McMullen is our executive producer. Learning to Change is recorded on the stolen land of the Sauk and Fox tribes, the Miami Nation, the Osati, Shakawi, Sioux, Ho-Chunk, and Kickapoo peoples.